Hey, hey, this is Richie coming at you from the School of Marketing HQ. Before you dive into the show, I just want to tell you about a brand new short 12-week program we've launched called the Giants Marketing Masterclass. The program gives you access to insights and expert comments from over 25 CEOs and CMOs from major companies like Unilever, L'Oreal, M&S, Pret, and WPP, just to name a few. We focus on six key areas of marketing, customer, brand, commercial, creative, channel, and data and analytics. So if you were looking to upskill yourself or your team for just two and a half hours each week and get access to a network with our industry's giants through our live sessions, do check out the School of Marketing website for more deets. Alrighty, for now, enjoy the show. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the second Oh, The Places Will Go show with Richie and myself. Uh, for those that watched last week, welcome back. And for newbies, it's fantastic to have you on board. What Richie and I are trying to give is something a little bit different to the many webinars that I'm sure you've been attending uh, since COVID. I was talking to somebody yesterday and they said the thing about this lockdown is that I'm missing the magic of marketing uh, and it's a bit tiresome. So hopefully this is a bit of a respite from, from that tiresome uh, context that we all face. And so what we're, what we're looking to do is to hear from some amazing leaders about their point of view on the world of marketing and business, but also understand a little bit about their psyche and some of the struggles that they've encountered personally along the way. Uh, some of you will have heard me say last time that this is kind of engineered around a book from Dr. Zeus, Oh, the Places You'll Go. You can kind of see what we did there. Uh, and that book, just to recap, is a story of a child's adventure through a mystical land. But the moral of the story is that you will be happy, you will be content, successful and fulfilled, but not every day or week or year. And it's the undulations that give you energy and make for an interesting story. Hence, Richie and I want to inspire you by giving some great people who have made it because of, rather than despite their bumps in the road. Uh, and the great person we have to with us today is Magnus, who we're thrilled to have joining us, uh, particularly as I know you're unbelievably busy, Magnus. I'll introduce Magnus in a moment, but just before I do, a couple of rules of the road. Uh, firstly, video optional, but please stay on mute for, for best audio for everybody. Uh, second, please fire your questions into the chat box. Uh, in, if the last show is anything to go by, inevitably some of the best questions come from you. Uh, and as I said, we'll run for 45 minutes, so you're guaranteed to get away from nine, for nine o'clock. Okay, so let me introduce Magnus, my particular pleasure to do so. So Magnus currently is, is global president of Saatchi and Saatchi, and has been in that role since early 2017. And it's an utterly massive job, so let's not underestimate that. Uh, prior to that, Magnus led Saatchi's UK since 2011, and in uh, that time has looked after many of the big, big brands in the world, EE, ASDA, HSBC, and of course, Direct Line. Uh, now, the thing I love about Saatchi's is the words that are literally carved into the doorstep as you walk into the building and also in six foot high letters above the building on Chancery Lane. And that is that nothing is impossible. And Magnus absolutely epitomizes that spirit. And that's reflected in the work that Saatchi's have done with Direct Line, reinvigorating a flagship brand that was on the edge of a precipice and more recently going again in search of even better. Uh, outside of that, Magnus also prominent advocate and campaign around DNI, but is also prepared to turn his things, uh, his thoughts and feelings and uh, motivations into action. Just one example, uh, being raising the entry level salaries at Starchies to help with regards to social mobility, really moving ahead of the crowd to, to, do, to do that the right thing. Now, Magnus has many accolades, too many to mention, but I do happen to know that his proudest accolade is to have been part of the Sprintathon a couple of years ago. Uh, indeed, Magnus has run one of the fastest marathons in the world ever. Well, a small part of one. And for those who know the, the, the Sprintathon, you know what I mean. 
Uh, I have to say it didn't end brilliantly with a major hamstring tear, but hopefully that's long since recovered and I've been, uh, I've been forgiven. Anyway, welcome Magnus. It's absolutely nice <laughs> to have you here. Thank, Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Morning, everyone. How are things okay, just about? Good, good, and hopefully forgiven. Uh, yeah. So, uh, right, Richie, do you want to get on with our opening questions? Yeah, hey, absolutely. And, and, and Mark, by the way, brilliant plug for the Sprintathon for, for all those who, who may not be familiar. So there we go. You have to get it in there, right? Yeah. Um, Magnus, Magnus, look, awesome to have you on. Um, first question for me. Uh, everyone talks about the fact that we're all missing the magic of marketing. Are, are you missing the magic of marketing? I'm missing the magic of marketing. I think, um, without a shadow of a doubt, what, it, what the thing I am missing is um, what makes agency life um, fantastic is the co the camaraderie and the coming together of different people. Um, and there is a what do we say? Is the is the magic can often be in the corridor conversations, the um, the accidental chats, the um, musings with. Um, Someone, it could be someone who's got absolutely nothing to do with what you're working on or doing, and um, uh, and and that that uh, serendipity, um, and that sense of um, uh, camaraderie um, that only um, some form of physical um, or um, coming together can give is I'm missing that. I'm about to I'm missing that. So just as a build on that, you know, how, how do you do a global role from home? Oh, well, so I don't think there's anybody who has a, um, who has a role that involves getting on an airplane who um, isn't um, slightly enjoying uh, elements of lockdown and the reality of understanding that um, uh, there is no, um, air miles are not the, um, uh, they're not actually the end <laughs> that you're looking for in life. Um, and, um, but what, and what I think is, and the truth is, is what, we're, what we've all found is, if you have created relationships and you have relationships with a, a genuine spine, then actually virtu virtually conducting business is not an issue. Uh, it's where you don't have those relationships. Or in fact, if the relationship has a challenge, then, then the lack of um, uh, physical interaction can be difficult. Uh, but the reality is, for me personally, um, and as I stare at lockdown today, I think I think this is true for di different people. But first of all, I feel as if um, I'm definitely a better father, um, and that actually is uh, is fundamentally so important to me. Um, and, and in an interesting way, I'm a better father, and partly the time and distance. I think also at the same time, I think over the last five six months, I've probably become a better leader. Because you've got to think a lot before you speak. Um, you've got to spend, and, and the challenges that people, that you know everybody's going through. Um, and the way I, I always look at it and think about lockdown, and as we, as we come out of lockdown, we, every single one of us is in our own personal bubble. And there are frontiers that each one of us will step out at different times. Totally different frontiers. So homeschooling and trying to run business was a thing. <laughs> Then, and then I can't deny to you that when my son was going back to school for the second half term, there was a genuine sort of apprehension on my part, my wife's part, etc. And then my daughter going back. But then you get over that. That's a frontier. And you get over that piece. And each time you have different frontiers, and it's very, very personal. It's really individual. And as a leader, you've got to understand that everybody's got their own. And you've got to help them 
step through that. And, I, and, he, and for each and every one of us, we've also got to work out what we're taking with us as we step through the next frontier. So for me, the thing I'm definitely, the relationship and the interaction I now have with my young children, so I've, I'm taking that with me, whatever happens. So that's a not to be compromised piece. But we are going to have to keep working that out as we go through each frontier as individuals. And as leaders, you've got to understand that for your people. You know, Magnus, it's, it's interesting you say that. In fact, one of the quotes that I've, I've stolen from Mark was he said that the, the biggest dichotomy that he's facing is that he's never worked as hard as he has and yet he had the best work-life balance of any time. And it feels like there seems to be that, that really interesting sort of, um, you know, maybe once in a lifetime sort of moment for a lot of people who are sort of feeling the same, um, despite, of course, a lot of chaos going on outside in the external world. I want, to, I want to pause there for a minute, guys, because we've got a poll question for, for the audience here um, that sort of relates to, to working from home and how they're feeling. So I'm going to launch the first poll question, guys. Love to get your point of view um, on, on how you're feeling about working from home at the moment um, and particularly around your mental health. So I'm launching the poll now. Let us know your thoughts. Okay, we're almost there. Another five seconds, and we're going to close up. Right, Richie, and then I noticed the alert saying, hold and host and, and panelists can't vote. There we go. Should know. Damn, there we are. Okay, so I'm ending it now. Here we go. So you should be able to see the results. Um, hey, bit of a 50-50 bag um, around people enjoying it and perhaps wanting to continue and and the other 50% missing some aspects of going to the office. Magnus, surprise you? No, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't surprise me because as I said, it is, and this is what's challenging for anyone uh, running a business is uh, the fact that you've got that split doesn't surprise me at all. Um, and because, it, because as I said, it is personal. And the next stage, the, I think businesses have work, worked out obviously before how to work in offices together. They've now worked out how to be productive from home. And now we're about to enter what is a hybrid scenario. And that's actually going to be the biggest test and the biggest challenge because it comes with it different behaviours. Um, you've got to make sure that... Um, so, so it is... You've got to make sure that you don't take your own bubble and project on everyone else. So the reality is, is that if you're someone... So if you're someone who drives to work... So I'm going to give you an example. So in... In Germany right now, our office population is, is and take up is largely in London. But actually, Germany is much more of a drive to work uh, environment. It's not all advertising isn't in one city like London. It's not a city dominated by an underground that people don't want to get on. Get on. So you have to understand all of those pieces uh, as you try to work out how we return to work. It's very different if you're if you've got young children. <laughs> That is very different to having older children. If you are in a small um, inner city flat apartment without out, outdoors, it's different to someone who's living in the leafy suburb. You just got to take all those things into account uh, as you work out how to move forward. And I think that's the um, that will be the big, big test for leaders moving forward because it, we, we beforehand we'd turn around and say the right thing to do for the majority is X, and I don't think that's true anymore. True right now. There will be no one right thing to do for the majority. Mark, what's your point of view from a client? Uh, from a from a client point of view? 
Yeah, well, I mean, for us, we, we, I think we've been really successful in the flip to working from home and establish a new norm, but it is getting tiresome. And it still feels a long way before we are able to get a, a meaningful number of people back in the office. Um, my, my, my point of view is that culture is formed in person. And, and Magnus talked a little bit about this, that you form those relationships and then you sort of pull on those when you can't meet, which has always probably been true of global roles. Uh, and so if we're redefining the office as not somewhere where you go uh, commute for two hours and sit for eight hours at your desk or in meetings, it's got a different purpose. We've got to really value that purpose, which it is where chemistry and culture is created, um, set piece meetings, training, uh, the things that bring people back to, to the purpose of the company. Because um, I, I, you know, otherwise I think you do stress and strain on the culture and that, and that will have a long-term consequence. But there's, um, as Magnus says, it's a very, very personal thing. And, and I look at both of you and you've got young kids. And, uh, you know, for me, it's completely different. If, if I get my kids, you know, off, off out of bed by midday these, uh, at the moment, you know, then that's a, that's a victory. But, you know, they, they've done their bit, you know, Harriet's finished school and George is in a, you know, 14. Very, very personal thing. But I, I love what you say, Magnus, just to, to capture that bottleneck about it giving you the opportunity to be a better father and a better leader. What's true is that it has given some time and you've got a choice what you do with it and also more moments of reflection. Uh, and so, you know, the, for, for me, that, that, that's already going to be my takeaway, what you said there. Um, so but, uh, if we maybe if we expand out from there, um, in, in terms of agency land, there's been huge speculation about what this means. Is it a permanent, um, does it have a permanent impact? Obviously, results yesterday published is pretty good, but generally it's a bit of a shockwave to agency world. So how, how, you, how do you think agency world is feeling right now? Um, so... So there's a number of ways to answer that. I think the first thing is, is that I don't know of an agency that hasn't lost some good people. Um, and um, to you, you said agencies are cultures. That's, they are. They're the best way I describe it, and I always describe it. It's, it, it is like it's family. That's what an agency is. And so, and when you lose family, that is that hurts, um, and it reverberates through the family. Um, now. That is happening, and at the same time, um, families also do need to come together. One of the things we're, we're uh, which is one of the challenges, one of the things we are doing is we're bringing teams together for socials, <laughs> because I think that's again, it's just an important element. But but beyond beyond that, the peace and, and the the personal loss, I think there is a there's an opportunity in agency land right now, and um, I think there is. I think it's. Lenin said, basically, there are um, decades when nothing happens and there are weeks when decades happen. <laughs> and we are going through those weeks when decades are happening. And I don't think there is a CMO or CEO who can, who can hand on heart say they know exactly what their consumers are going to be doing next. Uh, because I don't think we, as individuals, hand on heart can say what we're going to be doing next. And so... Um, Mark, as you know, it, it is um, because of the financial challenges that everyone's going through, uh, value is unbelievably important. But in the insurance market, I also think if someone were telling me I'm going to get the cheapest but worst insurance, the other thing we all know we've learned is, and we're learning at a personal, community, national level, is that when there's a problem, it's better getting it fixed properly <laughs> than sort of fixed. Uh, and therefore, you know there's that balance between that price piece and actually an insurance is actually going to work. So that there is, you, you don't know how that's going to play itself out. 
if you're in the automotive business, which is now the mobility business, you don't know how people are going to act and behave. And I think that's when um, data will tell you, and you, and we what we are using data will tell you what happened yesterday. Um, it, it's not necessarily always going to help you with what's going to happen tomorrow. And one of the things that agencies have always had and crave at their heart is some of that. Um, intuition understanding the look for opportunity the ability i think for agencies to plan rather than just have a singular plan <laughs> and so i think there is an element right now where there's an opportunity for agencies to show how good they can be um there is my observation is at the, a c-suite level there is more of a want for um senior agency involvement in how to go forward less of a want to uh transact so um, i think clients are looking for can i please buy and procure some advertising from you what people are looking for is partnership as we uh sail forward into 2021 and therefore for agencies all agencies want is to be great partners so i, I so in the same i have to say actually Beyond the personal loss, I see this as a a massive opportunity. Uh, so, so a ma massive opportunity ma first. Let me let me stop you there because I want to get a a little bit of a litmus test from the audience here um, around what people think the future and state of the agencies are going to be. Um, so let me launch our next poll around state of the agencies. Guys, give us your point of view. Here we go. So stay the same, become more like consultancies, need to take on more freelance type stuff, or there's going to be a, a bigger trend towards in-housing. Just while we're waiting for the results, Magnus, just um, something you said there about not knowing. I, I've I found myself saying far more times in the last three months than probably I've said in the rest of my career put together. I, I, I don't know, uh, but I think it's okay that I don't know. Um, and, and if, if this, what, you know, there's, there's many negatives, many silver linings. I think one of the silver linings is, is that it has legitimized vulnerability, uh, vulnerability in terms of, you know, dealing with crap in your life, but also, you know, not having all the answers. It's just become okay. We've built a little bit of a me uh, muscle memory to be able to say out loud, look, I don't know. Uh, but uh, anyway, just, uh, just an observation. I, I, I think I think that this is not the time for the control freak. <laughs> it's what I would say. Um, and um, and those people who are happy in that space where you're continuously planning and evolving, they get they get they're going to reap rewards. Well, Magnus, um, it seems like the majority of the people on this on the on the uh, the show here feel that you're going to move more to a consultancy type mod or a consultant step sort of way of life what do you think um i saw the saw the scores can't so it's fascinating mm -hmm. in that when i saw the options my answer if i was being asked personally was some of all of them <laughs> uh but the one that i would have gone more towards of them is the consultancy element um but that's when i say consultancy, that's not to be consultants it's actually to as in <laughs> management consultants to be consultants and partners <laughs> Yep, no, it, it certainly is. And, and Magnus, I'm going to put you on the spot here for a minute. Um, and you don't have to name your clients, obviously. Um, but who do you think are the biggest winners and losers at this point in time? Love to hear your thoughts on a couple of brands, maybe. 
on the brands that are winners and losers, um, mm -hmm. I think it's people understanding um, genuine value that they're going to give consumers. So, um, in the same way as I talked about, not um, agencies not transacting with clients, it's the same thing for brands. Um, and so, how can you deliver a genuine service of value? So, and you can see that in. Um, and I look at I look when I look at the retail environment. I look at somewhere uh, a brand like Morrison's, and what they've been doing around food banks, etc. And just realizing that, that there is a there's a societal service, uh, a community service, and an individual service that a brand has a role to play. Um, I am immensely proud of the work we're doing at BT around um, tech tips for uh, during the lockdown, which was there to um, invested a lot of money invested into helping give genuine technology tips to people who you realize that the access to the technology that network technology was the only way we were going to get out of the troubles we were in and so that yep. understanding that there is a all of us um in whatever business we have is we have a duty to serve uh, society, a duty to serve communities, and a duty to serve individuals. If we do, do those you, three things, then value comes back. And do, do you think there's actually then results in commercial value when you talk about value in that sense? Does, do, um, do, do these initiatives actually result in higher profits? Well, when you look at the, um, I can't remember the off the top of my head, but you look at the Morrison's results that were shown, you can see that, that is, <laughs> there is a value being paid back. Uh, BT's consumer market share um, net promoter scores are um, are in the best place they've been for some time. So, so I think I suspect that that um, it's, this, it's a really simple sorry. I think the, to Mark's point is it's not just marketing people who've got time to think, contemplate. <laughs> um, it's everyone has, <laughs> uh, and it, and you do it in all your relationships, and that includes your relationships with brands and services. Brilliant. Yeah. Very good. So um, I'm going, thanks, Michael. So I'm going to change gear a little bit now and, and talk a little bit more about you and your career. So um, can you uh, can you join the dots on your career? So what's been the pathway to <laughs> global president? Joining the dots on my career. So this is um, how I joined the dots. This is going to be an odd way of answering, I suppose. I joined the dots and, and most people on this aren't going to understand and I'll come to my point at the end because I joined the dots. So I joined the dots by... Um, uh, there's a lady called Natasha Delliston, who was my first boss at an agency called IMP. A guy called John Farrell, who was the global CEO of IMP in the DDB network. And there's a guy called Richard um, Howarth, who was my account director when I joined as a graduate trainee at Ogilvy Mather. Uh, then there's the founding partners of Fallon. Um, anyone who walked through the door at Fallon between 2003 and probably 2008 um there's robert senior who took me from fallon to saatchi there is paul sylvan kate stanners which is huntington and then there's people like katrina bow sam hawkey i've got people in the york like andrea dikes in la like um julie michael i've got uh, annette king now also don i mean i'll go keep going through the names and the reason i go through the names and join the dots is my point about a career is it, it, it isn't about the dots <laughs> it's about the people and so um the and the relationships and i think lots of people follow they can follow the dots they can follow a career plan 
um, a like from following organograms. Some <laughs> some people will just follow gold. <laughs> But the only bit of advice I have to anybody is follow the relationships, follow the people. Nothing else matters. Yeah, very good. No, I, that, that, makes, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, that leaves chance for serendipity um, as much as anything. In, in that journey, what would you say has been your proudest moment? Don't do not see the direct line campaign, yeah. by the way, Magnus. And they can. Direct line campaigns off the off the cards. When Wendy's on, she'd like that. This is an easy question for me to answer, and I actually uh, said it to um, the Saatchi London team four weeks ago. So, so without a shadow of doubt, the proudest moment of my career has been uh, this summer, because. Um, I think you asked about agency land and agency territory is the, the truth is that um, we're a service business and the service business of many, many categories and lots of different categories have taken hits and therefore we've taken hits. And at a time when um, you go through consultation processes where lots and lots of individuals, their personal livelihoods are on the line at a time when they know when they know that finding ways out of that are more limited than they've ever been. Um, they're stuck in their own homes, unable to necessarily physically connect with others. It's one of the hardest, I can't, it doesn't get harder. And in that moment, if you for the, have your people make sure what they do is they'll give of themselves and work longer hours, harder than they've ever worked before but to make sure that what they're doing is the right thing by the client and the brand they're working to, to keep, which but sometimes doesn't mean necessarily agreeing with the client. So in that scenario, just doing anything you're told, is, you can see people doing that. But mm. deciding to say, no, 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 we're going to keep doing what's right, what we believe to be right. We might not be right, but what we believe to be right. And we're going to stick with that. And we're going to bother people and knock on people's doors who actually might go, look, right now I'm just trying to hide. Can we just leave it alone? No, 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 no. We think there's there's some things that need to be done. Uh, there's some challenges that need to be had. Um, there's a selflessness to that that um, left me in awe. Uh, and I told them, without a shadow of doubt, for me, nothing gets close as far as pride um, for me in my career. Mm -hmm. um, Magnus, um, and by the way, Phil, um, I've, I've got your question in hand so i'm going to ask that next so thanks for for posting that um anyone else please post your questions as well as well and we'll we'll get to them shortly um magnus you, you named a whole string of i'm sure very inspiring people that have helped you along the way in your career um if you were to single point one key person and perhaps some of the attributes that made them really special for you and perhaps you know what they the sort of their characteristics that epitomize true leadership who would that person be? You have to name the name, but what are the characteristics that you would hold true? Um, that was another easy one for me. That's my mother. Um, so uh, the the thing um, I, I've learned about leadership is uh, I think most people who are most people who are good at something and care about something and passionate about something, they have a love for it. And they have a love for the organisation, love for what they do, and I think uh, that love can come in two different ways. Uh, overall, you can have what I would call a sort of one called sibling love, and anyone who's got siblings is like you love your sibling, absolutely love your sibling. But sibling love is based on how you feel, 
So your sibling, because like you, your relationship, how you feel in that love and that relationship, based on like they've made me feel like this. Nah, <laughs> they've made me do this. They made it. Sibling love is based on how you feel. Parental love is only based on how the child feels. Um, it's the only thing that matters. There is no me in parental, um, and, and that's something that uh, my mother taught me, and that's the thing. And I, and I bore. Of those people, some of them have worked for me, so Sam, Hawkey, or Katrina Bout will have heard me and they'll be bored silly of me talking to them about the difference between sibling love and parental love. And when you're ready to lead is when you've got parental love. And that, it changes. In, you're, when you're ready to be a parent in life, it's different to when you might be ready to be a parent in work. But leadership is parenting. Wow. So, so Magnus, so... Uh, you're clearly very resilient um, uh, and that's what's led you through and your agency through this period of time. Where, where do you get that? Where does that resilience come from? Um, so, I, I mean, I think um, that resilience comes from, for me personally, and I'll talk about my agency, but I think it's not, it's not dissimilar. So I think it's, um, look, I'm, an, I, I'm an outsider and proud. So my my dad is so I, I am the son of a man from a Nigerian gypsy tribe who went to Ghana, who managed to make I don't know how he made money out of that scenario from Ghana to get to the uh, Europe, um, and then I grew up in the UK. Um, I lived in um, an interesting part of London. Well, but all at the same time, going to uh, being going to being privileged in, um, and going with an assisted place to a brilliantly privileged school and a brilliantly privileged university, but they're very different. You know, wherever I was, <laughs> I was slightly an outsider, and I think that. Um, but that's great because what that does is it brings with it a. Um, I always think this is a part of the DNA of any immigrant. It's quite a good thing, you know, is you you see what's there. <laughs> You but and because you have to, you have to, you have to, you have to accept what's there. But you can't go. You got to change a bit of it, and you also got to be willing to change a bit yourself as you go through those things. And I think that um, I think resilience. People think resilience is like being a hard stop. Resilience is being able to bend, change. Um, you change yourself, but change your environment as well as you go through. And I think that's. Um, I think that's what the the great thing about being. Um, uh, the son of immigrants. I think it's when I think about Sanchi. I talked to you about Sanchi. Sanchi was set up in 1970, 50 years this year, by um, two um, Iraqi Jewish brothers whose parents had escaped persecution. Um, they were outsiders. Um, it just happened that the outsiders created an agency that might that became uh, uh, more of an institution. And and I think when we lose our ways, when we forget that. Um, the way we move forward is to welcome in outsiders, for them to keep changing us, us to change them and keep adapting. And I think that's what resilience is. Resilience isn't um, standing in front of your country and saying, I'm not going to wear a mask. <laughs> that's not resilience. <laughs> um, to me, resili resilience is taking the blows, sometimes genuinely taking them, sometimes pushing them back um, and navigating. 
and Magnus, on that on that point, I suspect it works as much on a personal level as it does with a lot a lot of your clients, um, as well as a lot of challenger brands that this, at this point in time are probably looking to leapfrog some of the major brands out there. And and I guess related to that, I just want to pick up on Phil's question. So he asks, um, he's asking, what do you think are the winning and losing approaches to marketing that are currently emerging? Winning and losing approaches to marketing. So. Um... So the, the, the most important approach, I think, from a marketing perspective, and um, I am going to name check uh, directly in this slide, is to um, like marketing can be marketing and communications can be treated in an ornamental fashion by businesses, or they can be instrumental. You can decide that a um, a brand purpose a marketing idea can sit at the heart of a business particularly service businesses like direct line that and that definition understanding can drive new product development it can drive uh, internal culture it can drive corporate reputation and it can drive communications and i think that the the marketeers who see their jobs as not just comms <laughs> um and when i say comms i also mean experience in that as well but also see marketing's role as driving uh, NPD and innovation, marketing's role as driving and the culture internally and the corporate reputation of a business. Um, in many ways, I always think that um, marketing should be the moral compass also for an organization because it's the interaction with the customer, the consumer. Um, when marketing plays that role, and it's playing that role, and organisations are, are um, embracing that. It's the the world's oyster, and actually, the truth is, is it it's never been needed more than now. Um, and then I think, from a uh, more personal, from an agency perspective, the other thing I think that's successful is is the. Um, I mean, we talked about the resilience before, but it, it's the inviting people to the partnership. And so one of the reasons why any agency can be resilient, any client resilient, is, is that get good people around you together. It's so much easier to stand your, stand your ground and step forward when you're holding hands of other people uh, than it is doing it alone. And so I think the, um, where uh, marketing and marketeers are inviting their agencies and partners to be part of their team, as far as a way to culturally look, uh, run marketing, I think that is also um, a big, big difference. Yeah, that, that strikes a chord, Magnus. With I did my first ten years at, at Mars, and there they did they didn't see third party partners and agencies as people to beat up and screw down. It was about long term strategic partnerships and recognizing you should only do what you do best. And I think the the, the, those that will win and the, the winning strategy is those that seek long-term partnerships with consumers, internal stakeholders and, and third-party agencies as well. So, okay, so Jim, I see your question. What I'm just going to do is flip a little bit because um, I wanted to focus in a bit on Black Lives Matter with Magnus because I know you've got a, a really good point of view on this and you're doing a load. So I just want everyone to hear a little bit more about that. So let, let's just start quite broad. What's your, what's your perspective on Black Lives Matter in general? Um, so... So that my, my perspective on it is um, I think it's an opportunity for, um, for all of us. And when I look, think about it in the opportunity stakes, and I, I have to look at it like that because the other way you can go is to think backwards and get angry, which I don't think is, is a particularly helpful uh, perspective. I think um, 
what I say to people around um, uh, I'm going to call it discrimination is uh, whether that is by you know macro way or microaggressions is this the Think about how we have been um, overcoming um, COVID-19. Um, and if you think about how we've been overcoming COVID-19, is the way we approached it maybe late. Um, but was the first thing to do is um, assume you have it. So when it comes to any sort of form of discrimination, assume you have it. Um, then the second thing you do, everyone did, is hopefully, is you listen to experts and you listen to the people who've suffered from it um then the third thing to do is um whatever you do take every single step you can to make sure you don't spread it which is what we're all doing and then the last thing is which is what we're all doing right now is change something in your life be prepared to change something to make sure you stop it now we've all been doing that around COVID-19 and there is no reason for us not to do take the same four steps around um, uh, discrimination diversity inclusion in uh, the workplace uh, so that's that would be that's my that's how I see it uh, I think that um, when we start looking at some of the solutions around it um, I think there's a tendency for organisations to think from the inside out, and so they'll talk, they'll think about what's challenging their organisation there and then. Uh, and as you know, I, I sort of split the answer into sort of three sections. For when I think about like businesses and organisations, that the first of those is is you you need to inspire more people of more diverse backgrounds into our industries and our businesses. Then the second thing I think is we need to enable more people. <laughs> to get a foothold in those businesses because, uh, I mean, if this was the US, actually you get, it, it's less the um, influx of people. The issue is actually retaining people who walk into an environment where no one looks like them, speaks like them. They haven't got the um, examples to aim at and they drop out. And there's also other sort, all sorts of other socioeconomic challenges and issues. So the second bit is enabling them to get a foothold, you know, that to get beyond that two to three year period. Um, and then the third of those is um, progress. You've got to help people progress to the top. You've got to, we need to see more people, more, more leaders. Um, and if I'm being honest, Mark, it's probably there's more true within the client marketing organisation that is in the agency, agency world. The agency world's got so far to go, but I'd probably say on the marketing side, it's even further. Um, and but I think those are, I would set my. I would turn and say, take the same four steps during COVID-19, and then when it comes to your organisation, please don't choose between progress, enablement, and inspiration. You've got to do all three. It doesn't work if you do one of those things. <laughs>